This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Uh, well, the, uh, the scripture reading this morning comes from uh, Matthew 5. <clears throat> if you would turn with me there, the fifth chapter of Matthew, uh, where we'll be reading uh, verses 10 through 16. Uh, so Matthew 5, verse 10. And would you stand? Maybe find your place. <clears throat> Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the, in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we do come again in the name of Jesus, thanking You, Lord. Uh, Truly, it is uh, not because of who we are or because of what we we have done in terms of good works. We, We have done nothing, but it's because of who You are, because of what You have done in our behalf. And Lord, as we've been uh, studying these past <clears throat> several weeks, looking at this passage, we, we have uh, seen uh, the blessed life, the happy life. And again, it is all based upon You and what You've done and what You're doing in us, for us, through us, for Your glory. We continue to ask that You uh, give us a better understanding of these things. Teach us, Lord, uh, how these things apply for us as a church and for us as individuals. Lord, so work in us, we pray that our lives are committed to Your glory. And it's for our good and for Your glory that we pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. Thank you, Zach. That was good. (laughs) Tremendous. Tremendous song. Says it well. I was already thinking when I was sitting over there because we we had just sung the uh, uh, Rock of Ages, the Augustus Top Lady song. I don't know if you're aware, but there was a uh, uh, ongoing dispute between uh, Augustus Top Lady and John Wesley, uh, the great uh, 
Anglican preacher, John Wesley, founder of Methodism, or the Methodist Church. Uh, there was an ongoing dispute with him concerning the sovereignty of God. You know, Calvinism versus Arminianism. Is God absolutely sovereign? Does, is the final decider for our salvation our own will or God's will? And uh, Augustus Toplady was a Calvinist, and that was the position he held to. And, of course, John Wesley is, uh, is known for his, uh, his Arminianism. Um, but uh, that, was, that song, Rock of Ages, was born out of that disagreement. And that's why the line, Could my tears forever flow? Could my zeal no longer know? These for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. It's all of God. Or as Zach put it in his song, it's not who we are, it's who He is. It's not what we've done, it's what He's done. It's all of God. All of God. So that's a great, a great song, great response in song on that issue. Um, all right, and also, Zach, appreciate you doing that on short notice. I, I was intended to mention earlier, Sheila's very sick this morning, cold. cold. And uh, so that's why Dan and Sheila aren't here. Dan was scheduled to sing. And so Zach was uh, gracious to uh, take his place. Yeah, amen. Very good job. Very good. Okay, also, uh, uh, too, we mentioned in Sunday school, but uh, Charlotte Monk has an infection in her eye, so remember her in prayer as well. Glad to see Ronnie and Melissa and Karen. And uh, I know they're still battling that stuff too, but doing doing better. Thank the Lord for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Susan. Remember Susan as well. Um, and uh, Joshua and Brenda be traveling this way uh, this week, so remember them as well. Yeah. Amen. Amen. I'm glad to have you here. Can you give, you give us an update on her? She Amen. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter five. Now let me let me point out, and we're going to be dealing with the verses that Zach just read this morning. Now, what I've done in previous weeks, we've been going through the Beatitudes, and every every week we've read uh, so far. We've read uh, from verse one down through verse twelve, and this morning, uh, basically, going to cover verses twelve uh, through. 16, primarily, uh, primarily uh, verses 10 and 11, uh, or 10 through 12 rather. Uh, but let me let me just remind us here uh, that this itself is a sermon. What Jesus is doing here, what we call the the Sermon on the Mount, um, and the Beatitudes are kind of the kind of the introduction. I mean, it's the first part of the sermon, setting the stage for the rest of the sermon. I say that for this reason. I just want to remind us to to keep all of this um, in, in context, keep it, keep it together, 
because there there is a, a, a continuity here. This is all of chapter five, six, and seven. Uh, Jesus is uh, is preaching a sermon. Now I don't know. I haven't tried. Just uh, it, it's believed, and I think correctly so, that the book of Hebrews. And I told you all this when we were going through Hebrews. That the book of Hebrews was a sermon, or is a sermon as well, just put in written form. And uh, I, I, I sat down, read it one time. It took me, uh, I think it was a little over an hour. Somebody said it would take about 55 minutes to read it. So I read it straight through. I think it took me a little over an hour. I haven't done that with the Sermon on the Mount, but uh, uh, it, 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 it'll take, it's, it's not a very lengthy one, but it, it'll take you a little while. So uh, just, you know kind of give you an idea how long Jesus' sermons were, okay? At least one of them, anyway. Um, this, this is a complete sermon. Now, again, my point in, in mentioning that is, is not the time thing, but, but just that we would keep it together. There's a flow of thought here, and I want to especially remember that as we move, for example, from the Beatitudes into uh, verses 13 through 16, because he's, he's still continuing... His thought there. So let's again start with verse 10. Uh, and this would be the last of the Beatitudes. Now, I gave you a little outline structure, possible structure for the Beatitudes last week that I got from uh, D. Martin Lloyd Jones. Um, and, and I told you uh, this is just one way of breaking it down, one way of understanding Jesus' um, structure of thought here. Uh, makes sense to me. You know, I mean, it may it may not be it may not be uh, exactly correct, uh, but but uh, it's it's a helpful way I think of looking at it. And it was this: that verse six would be the the high point, the center point. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And so you've got three beatitudes leading up to that in verses three, four, and five. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. And there's a logical flow of thought, you know, one, one leading to the other, the poor in spirit being mournful because of their sin, the mourning over sin, making one meek, and so forth. There's, there's a logical flow, and then you get to the pinnacle, the watershed, uh, you could say, beatitude in verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then if you just kind of, kind of picture that uh, pinnacle, you're coming down the other side now with the, with the final three, Blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, and blessed are the peacemakers, which, which kind of uh, uh, describe the condition of the person uh, because of the first three. In other words, and, and they correlate verse for verse. So in other words, blessed are the poor in spirit, and there's a direct correlation there to verse 7. Um, blessed are the merciful, the, the poor in spirit, because of their own spiritual poverty are merciful. And then a correlation between verses 4 and 8. Blessed are those who mourn. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart. They mourn because of their own sin and because they are filled with righteousness. They are, they are made pure in heart. And because they see their self for who they really are and so forth, they are pure in heart. And a correlation between 5 and 9. Blessed are the meek. They are peacemakers. So, so you've got 3 going up to verse 6. Verse 6 being the pinnacle, the main the main point, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be filled. And now, coming down, they are merciful, 
Um, they are pure in heart. They are peacemakers. Well, but now that leaves us with one more, doesn't it? Because there, there were seven, three going up, verse six being the center, three coming down. But there's, a, a, I think, a distinction to be made here in the previous, uh, between this one and the previous seven. But we will, this is the last one. Blessed are those, verse 10, who are persecuted. But what you have in the, in the first seven, as we pointed out all the way through, are characteristics, are qualities, are attributes of the Christian. These are attributes that Jesus is giving us that describe one who inherits the kingdom. We mean by that just, in other words, anybody who's saved. The, the true Christian. The true Christian is poor in spirit, mourns, is meek, in, in, uh, hungers and thirsts for righteousness, is pure in heart, is uh, a peacemaker, and so on. But what we have in verse 10... It's still true of the true Christians, yes, but the focus is not so much on what this person is, that Christian man is, or that Christian woman is, merciful, meek, peacemaker, but it's the focus here in verse 10 is more on what happens to them. Blessed are those who are persecuted. For righteousness. So there's a little bit, little bit of a, a, a distinction to be made here, a little bit of a shift. The first seven all describing characteristics of the Christian. And verse 10 uh, describing what happens to them because of the others. Happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now again, remember... Um, we're talking about genuine Christianity, the true believer. We're talking about true happiness, what Jesus has been saying all the way through here. Happier the poor in spirit. Happier, that's what the word literally means. Happy. Happier the poor in spirit. Happier those who mourn. Happier are the meek. Happier those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Happier the merciful. Happier are the pure in heart. Happier are the peacemakers. And now, finally, happier those who are persecuted. And we've talked all the way through about how what Jesus is saying here is exactly opposite. What, what Jesus is saying is true of the Christian is exactly opposite of what is true of the world. What is true of the natural mind. What is true of the natural man. The unregenerate. Somebody apart from Christ. A person outside of Christ, first of all, doesn't have doesn't know anything about true poverty of spirit. They're not poor in spirit, and if they thought they were, they wouldn't be happy about it. It's not something they would see as a virtue. Happy are those who mourn. That's exactly opposite, again, of the way the world thinks. Happy are the meek. Meekness is, not a, again, a not a valued virtue in the world. It's not thought of in that light. There's no hunger and thirst for righteousness in the world. Yes, I would say people are searching. Everybody's searching. And though we make you know fun of it sometimes, the the uh, uh, you've heard the old thing, especially among uh, 
I don't know, maybe college-agers talk about trying to find out who I am. And we make jokes about that, but there's, 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 there's really some truth there. People are doing that because of all the confusion, because of the inner turmoil. And so, yes, I would say people are searching, but they're not searching for righteousness. They're not hungering and thirsting for righteousness. But the genuine believer does. Happy are the merciful. Happy are the pure in heart. Happy are the peacemakers. Again, these are attitudes that run contrary to natural thinking. Well, how, how much more is this true of the one we're looking at today? I mean, this, this is a great... Um, tool for self-examination, isn't it? I mean, all the way through here, we can read these. And here's what, here's what Jesus says is true of the kingdom heir. He's meek. He's merciful. He's poor in spirit. He's a peacemaker. And it helps us examine ourselves and say, Lord, is this true of me? According to Your Word, it's true of believers. Is it true of me? Well, we, we, we have again another one today, a test for ourselves. Happy are those who are persecuted. Certainly contrary to the way the world thinks, and yet true of the kingdom heir. Now, <clears throat> persecuted. And I'll come back to this in a moment, but just want to mention it here. Persecuted for righteousness' sake, just for the sake of, uh, of tying these together, let me say it this way here. What, what he's been describing all the way through is the way of righteousness, you could say. And again, that's why it's contrary to the way of the world. The world's not poor in spirit, meat and so on, but that is a description of the righteous. The way of righteousness. And so Jesus is saying here, happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. In other words, happy are those who are persecuted because they are meek, because they are merciful, because they are peacemakers, because they are poor in spirit. Happy are those people who are persecuted because they hunger and thirst for righteousness. Happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, meaning someone who lives out everything he's described here. Happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, here's the, the, uh, the promise attached. We've had this with every beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of Heaven, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The meek, for they shall inherit the land, and so forth. The promise attached to this beatitude, verse 10, we recognize, don't we? It's the same as the first beatitude. Verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is what Jesus has been talking about all along. The kingdom heirs. He's just said it different ways. The mourners will be comforted, but they will be comforted because they inherit the kingdom of heaven. The meek shall inherit the land. 
That's covenant language. God promised His covenant people inheritance of the land. And so Jesus says here, Happy are those who are meek, for they shall inherit the land. Again, uh, covenant language describing the inheritance of the kingdom. Happy are the merciful, merciful, for they shall obtain mercy in the kingdom. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God in the kingdom. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. All of these things are descriptions of receiving the kingdom. But here he states it plainly and uh, in exactly the same words he did with, with the first beatitude. So they're, they're kind of bookends, you might say, um, in closing the beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that's the beginning. And then the end, verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for the righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Come full circle in the Beatitudes. More evidence, I would say, that that is the final Beatitude. So what about verse 11 again? It starts with the same word. Blessed, happy. Happy are you when they revile and persecute you. Well, I think what we have here is just elaboration on verse 10. It's not a separate Beatitude, but it's a further description of verse 10. Verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then begins the description. Happy are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. So he here the persecution described as uh, being reviled and persecuted. And the little phrase in verse 10, for righteousness sake, is stated again in verse 11, except it's said this way, for my sake which is one and the same thing. Because uh, when, it, when it comes down to it, to be righteous, this is what, what we're suggesting here, that Christians are persecuted for righteousness' sake. But to be righteousness is simply, to be righteous rather, is simply to be like Jesus. Uh, here we have some great descriptions of it. Poor in spirit, mourn, meek, merciful. But it can, it can be summed up by saying just, it just means to be like Jesus. That's true righteousness. So, insofar as true righteousness is evident in our lives, the response from the world is persecution. Christians in this world are persecuted, and yet, Jesus says, in a happy state. In a happy state in the midst of it. Why? Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They have a reward, a promised reward. The kingdom of heaven. All right, well, let's go back to verse 10 again. That's kind of a summation. Let's go back through it a little bit slower here. Happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now, what well, we've said several times as we've been moving through looking at the different qualities or attributes, that these are true of every Christian. 
In other words, again, what Jesus is describing is characteristics of the heir of the kingdom. The one who loves God. The one who lives in obedience to God. Or we could say it this way, the one who has come to God through faith in Jesus Christ. The man or woman who has been born again by the Spirit of God. And, and remember, uh, also, uh, these are not natural attributes. That's one reason when we look at them, uh, we say, wow, this is, this is just the opposite of the way the natural mind thinks. The natural mind is not happy about being meek or being uh, poor in spirit. So these are not natural attributes. They are the product of the Holy Spirit indwelling us. They're the product of the new birth and the continuing work of the Holy Spirit uh, indwelling us and, uh, and renewing us. It's interesting. I saw uh, as on break this week uh, and, uh, at work and... Uh, Saw an ad. It was, a, it was a local TV station, and I'm not sure exactly what they were advertising. I didn't pay that much attention to it, but but I, I, one of the things they said in, in talking about this feature they were doing, I think it was part of the newscast or something. But it said, "Have your remind your mind renewed." I thought that was interesting. <laughs> they. Uh, I think a lot of their newscasts, I guess. It's going to be a life-changing, mind-altering experience, you know, for the good. Have your mind renewed. Well, I doubt that they're, uh, whatever it was they were advertising, I doubt is going to do that. But the Word of God will, by the power of the Holy Spirit. All of these things are the product of the new birth and the continuing work of the Holy Spirit within us, Making us new, renewing our minds, cleansing us, sanctifying us. They're not natural. These things are, are, are not natural to us, in, at, at, apart from the Lord. They're natural for Christians, but not, not for the natural man. <clears throat> These are uh, characteristics of the Christian. Alright, so also, the Christian in this world is to be persecuted. This is quite a statement. Because just like the rest of them, it raises the question. I mean, you, you look at verse 3, and, you know, you, you, it raises the question, am I poor in spirit? If Jesus is saying this is true of the Christian, is it true of me? Just, you know, just pure logic. If it's true of all Christians, and I'm a Christian, then it should be true of me, right? Is it true of me? And so you come to verse 10, and that same question arises, just like it does with all of the others. Is this true of me? Now, I'll be honest with you. For me, as a 21st century, well, I guess really I'm a 20th century uh, American, but uh, I've just, by the grace of God, uh, made it over into the 21st century. Um, I... uh, I was reading uh, somebody this week said he uh, Martin Lloyd Jones who who passed away in 1981 but he called himself an 18th century man. <laughs> Sometimes you can kind of identify with that, you know. Feel like you were born out of time or something. But for the 21st century American persecution is not frankly something we know a whole lot about. 
I mean, unless you've been somewhere else. If you, I mean, if you've traveled abroad, maybe you've experienced it. But, but here, uh, it's it's not something that that we uh, we know a lot about. So let me let me let me say uh, mention a few things because I think especially as modern Americans, you know, might might kind of help us not go the wrong direction here. Let me, let me say a couple of things or a few things that it is not. Uh, what, what Jesus is not being uh, not talking about being persecuted for. First of all, and, and this kind of should be obvious, but first of all, he's not talking about being persecuted for wrongdoing. Okay, let's make that clear up front too. He's talking about being persecuted for righteousness. So, if you get yourself in a bind. And then say, well, you know what, I'm, I'm being persecuted. <laughs> no, probably not. You probably just, just got yourself in a bind and you're suffering the consequences. We had a, a visitor earlier this morning and Brother Carl uh, explained that to him very eloquently. <laughs> uh, you know, you get yourself in trouble, uh, you're, you're just suffering consequences that you brought on yourself. And, and we should remember that as Christians too. <laughs> Uh, because sometimes our, even when our intentions are right, I mean, like we we may evangelize and do it with the wrong motive, or uh, you know, say the wrong thing because we're full of ourselves or something like that, and and uh, you get punched in the nose, and then you walk away and say, well, well, I'm happy because I'm being persecuted for our righteousness' sake. No, if you just insulted somebody and they punched you in the nose. Um, uh, you're, you're being persecuted for insulting somebody, not for righteousness' sake. So you need, you need to make some distinctions there. He's, he's not saying you're blessed if you're persecuted for wrongdoing. You're blessed because the kingdom of God is yours. No, you're blessed if you suffer for righteousness' sake or for my name's sake. Here's another one, if, if, if I can figure out how to say this right, that I think is really prevalent in our, uh, our society. He's, he's not talking about suffering or being persecuted uh, for religio, religio-political reasons. In other words, what, what Jesus is talking about here has nothing to do with Republican versus Democrat. Has nothing to do with liberal versus conservative, because those things have nothing to do with Christianity, one way or the other. And we and and it's so easy. I think, but it's so easy to 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 think that those things are tied to Christianity. And I think the reason is because we don't have real persecution in our country yet. Um, so, so we, we kind of look for ways to be persecuted. And we kind of look for causes to get involved with. And that's not what Jesus is talking about here. I mean, uh, let's face it. Uh, whether someone is, politically speaking, whether they're liberal or conservative, communist, socialist, or capitalists, 
uh, they could be saved. And they could know the Lord. Has, has nothing to do necessarily with Christianity. So, it, it's, he's not talking about suffering for political reasons. And that is what much of what goes on uh, around the world. But I think it's probably, uh, probably one of the only types of persecution we know here. But, it, but that is not suffering for righteousness' sake. Again, what Jesus is talking about is suffering for righteousness' sake. And Christianity is radically God-centered. And that's one reason we define righteousness as being like Christ. Sometimes I know, I know on, the, on, the, like on the political left, the, uh, the liberals, because they, they adopt certain causes, sometimes good causes, um, they, they want to think that they are more Christian sometimes. Not all of them do. A lot of them are anti-Christian, but, some, but not all. And some of them think they're more Christian because of their interest in social issues. On the other side, the political right, because of the conservatism, because of it, it, at least lip service to morality, they like to think they're more Christian but in truth, again, uh, neither one of the two have anything to do with true Christianity. True Christianity, is, again, is radically God-centered. It has nothing to do uh, with politics. And um, this kind of falls under the category of doing wrong again. But Peter, in uh, 1 Peter 4, well, let me just uh, read a little bit of that first. Beloved, this is 1 Peter 4.12. Beloved, do not... And I would put this down as a, as a parallel passage to what Jesus is saying here. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me at all. I can't get into the mind of Peter, but it, it wouldn't surprise me if, at all if Peter didn't have this sermon in mind when he was pinning this. 1 Peter 4.12-16. through 16. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. But rejoice... To the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. You see the parallels already. Don't think it's strange. Uh, if you're in a fiery trial, Jesus said, you know, you're going to be persecuted here. And then Peter goes on to say rejoice. Same thing Jesus goes on to say, rejoice and be exceeding glad. And then Peter goes on in verse 14, If you are reproached for the name of Christ... Blessed, happy are you, for the Spirit of God, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer. Now listen to the to the uh, categories Peter uses here. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer are as a busybody in other people's matters. Isn't that amazing? So if you, if you suffer as a busybody, uh, that's not suffering for righteousness' sake. 
And isn't it amazing that Peter throws that in, or really, we could say, uh, couldn't we, that the Holy Spirit throws that in a list with murderers and evildoers and thieves. And, and Peter prohibits it. Don't, don't suffer for these things, because that has nothing to do with righteousness. Don't suffer. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. And don't think it's strange. This is the lot of Christians. We suffer in this world. John Calvin says, We cannot be Christ's soldiers or uh, on any other condition than to have the greater part of the world rising in hostility against us and pursuing us even to death. It's persecution in this world. And that's why I say this is such a, 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 a difficult, uh, at least in my mind, a difficult one for us since we don't know this kind of persecution uh, to date in this country. Another interesting statement from John Calvin, at least I thought because of our situation. Calvin says this, but if, it, but if at any time the Lord spares our weakness and does not permit the ungodly to torment us as they would desire, yet during the season of repose and leisure, and I would say that's where we're at as Americans, <laughs> yet during the season of repose and leisure, it is proper for us to meditate on this doctrine that we may be ready whenever it shall be necessary to enter the field and may not engage in the contest till we have been well prepared. So, so Calvin is saying, if, if there's a time, if God allows a time in which there's no suffering, no persecution for righteousness sake, and again, I think that's where we're at in America today, then Calvin suggests meditating on this doctrine. The teaching, the doctrine being the teaching of Jesus that Christians suffer persecution. Meditate on it because it'll help you be ready when persecution arises. Meditate on what Peter said. Don't think it's strange when you fall into fiery trials. If you're not in one now, meditate on it. It'll help you be prepared. I mean, there's so many things you, you could you could throw into that into the mix. There's one reason I like to emphasize uh, the sovereignty of God. The first reason is because the Bible teaches it. I mean, I believe the Bible teaches the absolute sovereignty of God. But one of the benefits I think in in emphasizing that in preaching and and in talking. Is that it's a way of meditating on it? It's a way of thinking about it. So when things happen, and you need to understand the sovereignty of God, you're not in the midst of that trial or that suffering or whatever it is, uh, trying to go back and, and and figure out God's role. You know, you've already been thinking about it all along, and you know that God is sovereign, and that whatever comes into your life is placed there by His sovereign hand. For a reason. You don't want to wait till you get into a situation to get settled in that truth. 
Meditate on it. Meditate on this one. Persecution. Christians suffer persecution. Not for wrongdoing. What do they suffer for? Righteousness. For righteousness' sake. Blessed or happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. In other words, the promise of happiness and inheriting the kingdom does not apply to everybody that suffers in general. You know, everybody out there suffering, everybody out there being persecuted should be in a happy state because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's talking specifically about those who suffer or are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Happy are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake, Jesus says. If, if that's what is at issue, if you're being persecuted because you're a follower of Christ, because you're living godly, because you, you, you look too much, you bear too much resemblance to Jesus, if that's why you're being persecuted, then Jesus is saying this, this applies to you then. You should, you're in a happy state because you will inherit the kingdom of God. And boy, there are examples of this in Scripture and in church history. I'm just going to give you a couple. Uh, well, some, a few here I'm just going to mention real briefly. You think about righteous men down through the ages and the persecution, the suffering that they endured. Men like Moses, who chose to suffer, to suffer affliction with the people of God, right? Rather than to enjoy the, the passing pleasures of sin, or the pleasure of sin for a season. Moses suffered for righteousness' sake. You think about men like David who suffered at the hands of Saul. And he was constantly on the run. Isn't that an amazing story? Because as a, as a, as a uh, well, basically as a child, a kid, a young man, uh, Samuel comes and anoints David as king. I mean, he is God's anointed to replace Saul and yet he has to go through this long period of time of enduring persecution at the hand of Saul, the man whom God has raised David up to replace. But he never tries to you know, thrust himself forward. He never sets out to kill Saul so that he can take the throne, which is rightfully his. He waits on God to bring that about. But in the meantime... His waiting consists of hiding in caves and running from town to town because of this persecution. He suffered for righteousness' sake. And you think about prophets like Jeremiah and all that Jeremiah went through just for preaching the Word, just for telling the truth. And he suffered for that, for righteousness' sake. And in the New Testament, we have examples. Uh, for example, in, uh, in, in Acts, you know, Peter uh, and others are arrested and, and they're told, you know, you can't preach in the name of Jesus. And ultimately, they're beaten for that. And they go away rejoicing because they were counted worthy to suffer persecution. They suffered for righteousness' sake because they were doing what was right. They were, they were doing the work of, of God. They were too much like Jesus, you could say, for the world to be comfortable with them. And they suffered for that. 
And the Apostle Paul, I don't know if anybody has gone through the amount of suffering that the Apostle Paul went through. Again, for righteousness sake, for carrying the gospel into the world. He was repeatedly in prison. He was in shipwrecks. He was beaten. Think about that. Beaten with rods for righteousness sake. Not because he was cocky. (laughs) He wasn't mouthing off to everybody. Not because he was stealing. Not because he was nosy, a busybody. He suffered for righteousness. That's a happy state, Jesus is saying. If you suffer for righteousness, you're happy because you inherit the kingdom of God. And of course, the ultimate example is Christ Himself. Who knew no sin. He never ever committed sin. He never did anybody wrong. He was, is, righteous. He defines it. You could say he, he not only is righteous, but He is righteousness. And yet, He suffered at the hands of the world, uh, ultimately being murdered for His righteousness. We suffer for righteousness, Christ says. And when you, when you do that, Christians suffer for righteousness, and when it happens, you're in a happy state. Because you're an heir of the kingdom. Again, Peter says this in 1 Peter 3.14, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Jesus said, In the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. So what is our response? <clears throat> We've already touched on this quite a bit, but let me just kind of try to emphasize it here. What is our response then to persecution? Again, as Calvin said, this would be worthy of meditation. As I say, in America, in 21st century America, so far, <laughs> we don't have real persecution. Or if it's out there, it's rare. But that, that could change. That could change rapidly. And what should be our response to persecution? Rejoicing. It's like Peter. Rejoicing that the Lord has considered us worthy to share in it. Verse 11, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Take that as a command. You're in a, you're in a happy state, Jesus says, because you're an heir to the kingdom. So, when you're persecuted, when people do you wrong, rejoice. Be exceedingly glad. Now, is that not contrary to the thinking of the natural man? Is that not contrary to the, to the way of the world? When somebody does you wrong, this is in fact one of those parts of Scripture, you know, Brother Carl, that I found that... <clears throat> Well, Star said the world likes, but you know we could say it of ourselves too. We, our flesh, in the flesh, one one of the parts of there are some parts of Scripture that you 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 latch on to, right? Even when you were lost. So if you find a passage like John three sixteen that that really emphasizes the love of God, the world likes that. 
Another one would, would be passages like, like the Old Testament law, you know, an eye for an eye or tooth for tooth. <laughs> the, the world likes that. But Jesus says, if you're persecuted, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. How is that possible? It's only possible if, if you have things in proper perspective. It's, it's only possible if you uh, value the right things and devalue uh, things that really aren't worthy of our attention and value. For example, when we talked about being poor in spirit, we were poverty of spirit and meekness, we talked about uh, uh, being emptied of self, no reputation. That's the Christian man. Emptied of self and a longing to be full of God. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is our our experience. Well, if you're empty of self, then when you are persecuted or reviled, uh, you, you have no reason to retaliate. If your life is, is given to the glory of God rather than self-glory, if you value the glory of God and the things of God and the promises of God rather than the possessions or positions that you can have in this world, then you can rejoice when you're reviled or when you're persecuted. Because yours is the kingdom of heaven. Or as he says it in verse 12, uh, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward. There's something, regardless of how intense the persecution is here, there's, there's something coming, glory, reward, that cannot uh, compare with it. That's why all the suffering Paul went through, he himself referred to as light afflictions, because he viewed them in light of the glory, the greatness of the glory that lay ahead. said this way about Moses. Let me go back to Moses just for a minute. This is Hebrews 11, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches. Now, don't miss that. What, where is... Moses placing value. Possessions of this world. He was, he was raised and educated in Pharaoh's palace. He had everything anybody could want. But he did not value 
those things are that position, the kind of esteem he would uh, have enjoyed as being part of the household of Pharaoh. He did not value those things. Uh, he did not consider them to be of greater value than the reproach of Christ. Think about that. He chose rather to suffer affliction and he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. You want to apply that? Let's, let's say the treasures in America because uh, we are an extremely wealthy country as Egypt was in Moses' time. Superpower. Then what does it go on to say? Verse 26, Hebrews 11:26. How could he do this? How could he have that kind of mindset? How could he value the reproach of Christ more than the treasures in Egypt? He looked to the reward. He looked to the reward. And that's what Jesus is exhorting us to do here. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. If you're persecuted, if you suffer in this world for righteousness' sake, for His name's sake, you're in a happy state because you have great reward ahead of you. So, do like Moses. Look to the reward rather than the present circumstances. And, uh, and I'm not saying, you know, deny the circumstances or anything like that. It's, it's reality. Suffering, persecution, evil in this world is reality. But go through it looking to the promise of reward that we have in Christ. Very quickly, verses 13 through 16, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. If all these things are true of you, if you're, if you're a genuine believer, you're poor in spirit, you mourn over your sin, you're meek, you're a peacemaker, you're merciful, you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. You're, you're a lamp placed here for the world to see the reality of God and the glory of God. And how can you do that if the, if the lamp goes out or if the salt loses its flavor or if the lamp is hidden? In other words, all these things are manifest in the life of the true believer to add Flavor, as it were, to the world. Spice. I mean, they're, they're noticeable things, I think is essentially what he's saying. If not, then there's, there's no value. 
They're noticeable things. You put a lot of salt on food, you taste it, you know it's there. Turn on a light in a dark room, then you can see. These are things that are noticeable in the life of a believer. So Jesus says, then let your light shine. Let, don't hinder these things. Let them manifest. Even in persecution, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Because the things we're talking about are reality, Jesus is saying. This is not a, 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 just a motivational speech, you know, to make people feel good. Imagine, imagine, imagine there's a heaven. <laughs> you know, it's like if, if you're working on a day in the middle of summer and it's 105 degrees, imagine yourself in a fresh snow. Not what Jesus is saying. <laughs> He's saying these things are reality, therefore... They manifest in your life. And rejoice and be exceedingly glad because you are in a happy state, even in the midst of persecution. Let your light shine. Be salt. Be light for the glory of God. And be truly happy because you know the true Christ, the true God. Happy is the man who's persecuted for righteousness' sake or for Jesus' sake because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Paraphrase it this way. In other words, Christ is yours. You're happy because Christ is yours now and forever. You've got an eternity of fellowship with Him to look forward to. He's our heaven. He's our reward. You have Him now. You know Him now. In spite of circumstances, you're in a happy state. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for the truth of Your Word, for the truth of these promises. Inheritance of the Kingdom of God. Heirs, join heirs with Christ. Sons. Sons of God. Lord, we... Just want to thank you and praise you and bless you, Lord, for pronouncing such blessings upon us. We again pray that you help us meditate on these things and the reality of them. Use them to uh, continually separate us from the world so that day by day we fall out of love more and more and more with this world and the things of this world and fall in love more and more and more with Jesus. Be glorified in us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.